0: Maybe we'll talk about it, but basically everyone poskins that water is okay in all cases. Uh, now, cooked water doesn't pose an issue as far as bishul if even a goy cooked up the water, because bishal akum is only something that uh, not that's changed by the by that by heating it up. Uh, you have an apple, you bake the apple, it's change the food, but something like water, which is edible. Uh, it will roar, and then it doesn't change in actual any essence. It doesn't change. Of course, it's hot water, and you like hot water. You don't have tea or a coffee. I understand, but it's water. Is water is water, and therefore, there's no bishul akam on it. But here's the problem that we have: if hot water is, is used is dispensed from a non kosher onto uh, 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 a non kosher food. Let's say you put you put the hot water. The person before you, or sometimes during the day, he put hot water on non-kosher food. Let's say he had a a, a soup, and it was super treif, or he had something else, in there's the cup there, that's not kosher. We're not talking now about a, had a coffee, and maybe this, and maybe stomach, maybe this. No, we're not talking about. We're not talking about extra kenzines. We're talking about it's a real treif mamish, and the hot water goes on to it. So, anyway. What does that do? That does a little bit of cooking, and it creates a steam. And that steam might well be considered to be uh, something that's, that could make something trace. So the steam goes back up to the spout. It could make the spout not kosher. If either the steam or the spout is hot. Now, the spout usually isn't hot. It's really a plastic and it, yeah, it cools very quickly and uh, it doesn't really, I don't think it gets that hot the outside of the, the, the uh, spout. But uh, but the, as far as the, the, the heat from the bo- bottom that comes up, the steam that comes up from the cup, that could be very, very hot. So that might create a situation where it ossers the spout. Likewise, dispensing hot water... Aren't into meat or milk can affect the part of the status of the urn so the here are the answers that we he came up with this rabbi, which I think are very good. Number one, he says it can be assumed the urn wasn't used with trace in the past twenty four hours that's a rule we have we say stom calem been a any any uh, any kli, any utensil, a spoon a fork, a knife, a pot, a plate, anything. We the, the assumption is whether it's in Jewish hands or Goyish hands that it was not used in the last 24 hours, hot for food, for that you know, it's a milking strip, striped, place, whatever the whatever the is. So we the assumption is that the stam kalim is in the was not used in 24 hours. If you know it was used in 24 hours and it was used in a way that it could become Bishul, the yazzaleta's bow, the cleon whatever the the she clevishon whatever your Shaili is, it has to be that it was it, it, it came about in the last twenty four hours if you don't know that in the last twenty four hours anything was wrong it was done, then the assumption is it wasn't because it's a suffix, and we don't have to assume the worst scenario, so therefore it, we could say. A, a Stam kale, and a kale that you know nothing about, a utensil or a pot or whatever you know nothing about, the assumption is it was not used in 24 hours. Same thing as if you took out, out of, your, out of the, uh, the drawer, you took out a fork, a knife, a spoon, so you used it with the wrong thing. You used the flacik into a milk, because the milk it the flacik. So you, the, you might have made that spoon trace now, but that spoon cannot make the food trace. So even if you take a spoon out of the milchik drawer, and you stir a chalent with it, the cholent is a hundred percent kosher, and nobody pasks differently than this. This is the this is the din according to everybody. Your swater your nashkenaz, your your litvish, yeshivish. Make it what you are. That's the halacha. That if you use a milchik spoon and it's right out straight out of the drawer, and you, and you you stir the chalent, the the, all the challenge is kosher, and the pot is kosher. The spoon is straight, because you stirred cholins. That's, that's flesics, and this was absorbed in milk mix. So the spoon has to be kosher. That's, that's the way we posken. Um There's a little discussion. I'm not going to that area, but that's a we poskin. So you, 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 the spoon we're going to kosher, but everything else is kosher. Chalons is kosher or kameen, whatever you eat, and the pot is kosher. Now, So so now we have here a situation where we don't know that anything was done to this urn, so we have no reason to assume that anything happened to it. Okay? So any absorbed taste is therefore pogrom. It's not going to create a problem for us. Another another reason we could be soymic on these urns is that you can realize the steam was probably bottle that's what he says i don't know where he gets that from um, he says that, 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 that uh, i don't know where how he, how he gets the bottle steam being bashiisham doesn't be bottle in. It? the steam goes right into the um, into the the cali. it makes the kalee uh, uh, let's say the steam is trace and it goes into that spout and if it makes that spout uh trace so maybe uh that's and Plastic spout usually doesn't reach the problematical level of heat. It doesn't get hot enough. It has to get hot from that uh, zaya, that uh, that uh, the uh, steam that comes up. So therefore, basically, uh, it's a non-issue, an urn situation. If you want to be machmir, and that they have, if it's a small urn, then you you have the you have the whole you have the place. You could wait twenty four hours and you could cash it okay that 's a whole different story, but we 're not talking about that and basically, you know, when you walk into these situations, the halacha is it 's a sort of biddy situation already, and of course, if you don 't want to have it, don 't have it, but if you want it or if you can, yes, you can have water from an urn that you don 't know anything about because the assumption is A, it was not uh, there was no there was no treif in it, they don 't put trafe in it, and there was no uh there was no, it. there was no, um, there was not used in 24 hours. The Zaya probably never hit the spot. And, and, and for all these reasons, we do not make an assumption that there was anything wrong with the earth. One time I had this situation, I mentioned it once on the radio, I don't think I mentioned it more than once, so I don't mind repeating it once. It was a situation that somebody came to my shear and told me that he personally witnessed that they took took, uh, pots of water on the stove, they heated it up on the stove, and pushed it into the urn. The urn was a huge urn. You know, the commercial urns that they have, they dispense coffee, tea, that hot water that comes out, in the thing is maybe about eight feet, six feet, not feet, eight feet. Maybe it's four, five, six feet, four, five feet tall. It's a gigantic urn. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it's only three feet, but it's a very tall urn. So that tall urn, they filled it up with water from pots of water on the stove. Now, the assumption, this is a restaurant, the assumption that those pots are really trace. And today's restaurants, the turnover is quick before COVID. But the turnover is quick, and, then, and they use it a couple times a day. So there's no assumption that it's not that it was not used in 24 hours for trace. So it's a very good question. So he saw this thing being poured into those urns. So this would change everything we just said. You have, a, you have a situation there where the, where it was being put in, was, hot, was water in a tray of pot on the stove poured into the urn. That's, that's, that's a real shiloh. Because the water itself is probably halakhically trafe. Uh, you could discuss it, but that's basically what the issue was. He told me that story. So when I had a chance, I spoke to Rabbi Zim and Zad Salma Rebbe, and I asked him what the story is on this, and he said to me like this, he said, from a maizah, you don't take away a chazaka. There's a chazaka, there's a, a long-standing chazaka that the urns are okay. You can have a hot coffee, a hot tea from an urn. This, this, day, this is the days before they had the flavored coffees. You can get a hot a tea, a hot uh, coffee from an urn, and there's no issue. Now you're going to tell me a story that happened in Manhattan that this guy saw one time, That's a bizarre situation. It's probably, uh, the machine was probably, probably the the urn was weak. It couldn't uh, produce the capacity anymore. couldn't get the heat up high enough. So they did that to heat the thing up. That's a rarity. One time in history, once in a while, a blue moon. For that, you cannot take away a a chazaka that everybody relies upon. I thought that was amazing. Amazing psak. And, And I share it with you now. So that even though you hear a story, from a story, you don't have to change what you do necessarily from one story that happened one time or that, you know, you heard. So don't, don't be so nervous. So that's the urn. The microwave is a little different. My Rebbe was very machmed in the microwave. He was not makel at all. If it became treif, it was treif. There was no way to kosher it. That's how he taught, that it was, it was gonna, it, it, because of the, the, the special qualities of the microwave. It was plastic. And that it, uh, uh, that there's a lot of intense heat over there, and that there's no real way to kasher it. You can't you, you can't store up heat the way you can in, in our ovens. You can kasher the oven because you can keep the heat in there. But here there are fans going all the time, and the air is going out through vents. It's not possible to hold in an intense way to make it to kasher the same way we do an oven. So my rebbe was very Reb it was very machmir, and he didn't hold you could kasher. A, a microwave whatsoever. But this is what they're saying. I'm not going to talk about who says it. Maybe I'll skip who said it. But this is the the standard answer that people use of how to a microwave. I'm mentioning it only because some people do it. And even those people who do it never heard it the way, probably did not hear it the way I'm going to read it, which is put out by a very prominent kashvist organization. I'll leave it at that. It just was put out uh, August 4th. They're a prominent cautious organization. i will be staying at a hotel while on vacation. How can a microwave be kashas after it was used to heat non-kosher food? Again, Rabbi Zimman said it cannot be kashas. Throw it out. Forget about it. Don't use it. That's what he would say. But this prominent kosher organization tells you how to kosher. So If you do it, fine, but listen to what I what it says. Because many people have never heard this in its full sense. The microwave oven should be cleaned well and left idle for 24 hours. So when you're going to a hotel, you're going to a, uh, you're going to a, uh, you're staying at a motel. One full day, it can't be used. Even if you're cold, you can kosher it. You can't kosher it right away. Number two, then a full cup of water should be heated in the microwave for 10 minutes. Those people don't do that. They put it in for a few minutes. Ten minutes, allowing the water to overflow and the microwave to fill with steam, which most people don't bother about. A, they leave it in a couple of minutes. They never saw this thing about filling up with the steam. And they don't realize that it has to overflow and fill up with steam, the whole microwave. It'll be One big mass of steam. The cup this is nobody knows, I'm gonna tell you now. The cup should then be moved to another location in the microwave and again the water should be boiled for ten minutes. That's what this prominent cultural organization says. You gotta do it at least twice. I don't know why they stopped it twice, but that and and if they if, if it was effective the first time, well you don't need it the second time. The answer is it doesn't work that well. Even with all the steam, they wanted you to do it at least twice. I don't know if they want more, but that's what it seems to look like just twice. However, the above koshering should be insufficient to kosher the glass turntable. So now you can't use the turntable. Listen to this one. Which is assumed to have had direct contact with non kosher food. Instead, the glass plate, that's the turntable, should be wrapped in two. Layers of plastic wrap. Now tell me you're traveling and you remember to take the plastic wrap to put on the, the on the glass plate, etc., etc. You can't use uh, you can't use tin foil. You know, kill the machine. So, but you can't put your food down on the turntable with the two rings, with the overflow of the water and the ten minutes and the filled with steam. Twice, different places, you still can't use the glass on the bottom. Tell me, everybody knows that. I, I, I think it's the the that south taught it well. You don't mess with this, and I don't think that most people do it. Heard it? He, I've heard, heard this, and they do it. And this is a again. If you want it, if you have difficulty finding it, you just uh, I can tell you how to find it without the effort. But uh, if you just write these words in. I'll be staying in a hotel one vacation. How can I kosher? How can I, a microwave be koshered after it was used to heat non-kosher food? If you put that question in, or something similar. You'll probably come up with it. In any event, if you need to find it, you can contact me. I'll let you know where this is on the internet. Uh, what they what the supposed method of koshering is. I have another piece here. It's uh, about ice cream because that's also summertime thing so this is actually from the COR in Detroit and uh, it'll sound a little bit like things you've heard in the past but Rabbi Brody from Detroit who puts this together always has new ideas inside very thorough treatment and with a few things I'm going to say now I think will be very helpful to you ice cream and frozen yogurt stores often claim they're kosher and they may post kosher certification letters, which leads people to think that they store and its products are under supervision, which is not. In fact, in most cases, the letters refer only to specific products or ingredients which are factory produced under, certifi- under supervision and are certified only when India originally sealed packaging bearing the kosher mark. Once the unsupervised store opens the packaging, the certification is no longer valid. Unless the consumer verifies that there is actual, on-site, reliable, rabbinic supervision of the entire individual store, no ice cream, no yogurt, no syrups, nor toppings should be considered kosher, except for those in the original sealed containers bearing a reliable kosher certification. The following stores in our area, that's in Detroit, are not under supervision. TCBY, Hagen dazs and Overwise It's always preferable to buy at a fully supervised store. Locally, soft-served Chal Yisrael ice cream is available at Jerusalem Pizza, and then they have this is available, not available, so there's different things that are available there. It is necessary to purchase hard-pack ice cream or yogurt Aside, it is necessary to purchase a hard packed ice cream or yogurt from an unsupervised store. The consumer should request, aside, if it is, I guess I might have read it wrong. If you are going to buy ice cream or yogurt in an unsupervised store, the consumer should request and see a sealed container before it is opened and check for the kosher certification mark on the container. In addition, the scoop should be thoroughly washed. There's an old trick. They leave the the, the uh, they leave the this spoon or the scoop in a thing of water, which is sitting there with all of the uh, ice cream in that water. It's not been cleaned off so significantly. They dunk it in there for sure. It's not cleaned off properly, and so really to make sure that they, that they wash it properly, if you you'll stand there in a second and ask them, maybe they'll do it. Uh, but but otherwise, you're getting whatever the last person used. and a little bit left in your in your uh, portion. Soft-serve ice cream or yogurt should not be purchased from an unsupervised store because of the inability to verify that kosher mitzvah was put into the machine. It leads me to a story. I got a call just the other day. It was at night. It was late. You know, people go away. This fellow, uh, the yeshiva man, uh, Bacher, yeshiva Bacher, and he's in... Uh, Vermont, of all places, right? <laughs> That's where you go, right? That's everybody's went very far way this year. So this fellow is in uh, in Vermont, and um, he uh, he wants to know about going to Seven. Wants to get slurpees, so he wants to know which slurpees he could take and which ones and then I said, listen, you know, we don't have we don't hold from the slurpees. There's a lot of reasons, first the yeshiva man and this and that. Okay, you're stuck up there. There's nothing to eat. I understand, but, I, but look, I'm not going to argue the, the, the whole thing out with you. Mm-hmm. But one thing I'll tell you, you go there and see if you can find, in the, you go to the back room where it's connected and see if what they say in the front is what's sitting in the back. In other words, look at the containers in the back and see if it says the same name of the product. As it says in the front, where it says uh, this is Coca-Cola, this is this thing, and this, this thing, whatever the, whatever the names are, All right? It's go choose you see, and if you can see, then then you you know then I leave it to you. You do what you want, but at least you have to be able to see. So he goes into the store. me back later on, he goes into the store and Seven Eleven, and he says to the fellow, you know, I'd like to see I'm an Orthodox Jew, I'm a religious Jew. So the guy says to him, I'm also a religious Jew, but you can't go. It's a, it's a company policy. Nobody can go in the back of the room. So the fellow walked out. He realized I was right. There's no way in the world you could know if everything is all right in that store. He could not find out. He would not be able to find out. They didn't cooperate with him. And that is the issue. Beginning, and very interesting. Uh, so he was convinced, at least not for the future, be able to listen to me on some of these issues. I'm looking at a... Uh, this is not exciting to you, but to, to me it's always exciting. I'm looking at something that has an okay on it. It's from France. It's actually in France, and it's not under the okay. Somebody sent it to me, and I sent it a little bit of okay, and they thanked us very much. It's a chicken uh, rotisserie st- store. It's called Poulet uh, Express. And it's uh, in a a very ritzy neighborhood, as a resort area, um, and they have a Shkocha. And for some reason, they put on a Circle K. This is not the first. In in France, again, 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 and again, at least a half a dozen times, I believe, we have found OK lookalikes. Just look like a regular OK, Circle K being used in France for anybody's hushkoch or whatever. It, somehow, that country is very, very hard to be the okay. There's a lot of trouble in France. And if you do go to France and you do see an okay, no assumption that it has anything to do with the okay. More likely than not, it doesn't. Now I'm led to the main topic of the day, which is a very interesting story. It's actually, the main story is is after this part. Here's a story, sad story, in many, 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 many ways. A woman came to the United States. She came here from El Salvador in 1993. She was eight years old in 1993. But she was an undocumented immigrant eight years old, from El Salvador, which was no picnic coming here. But she grew up in Houston. Seems, I don't know what happened, but the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is ICE, they hopped her in December, and uh, it it seems that she was uh, supposed to be deported this week. Now, she was accused of stealing. That's why they hopped her. I don't think they hopped her because she was here and, you know, eight years old as an undocumented immigrant. But because she was an undocumented immigrant, and she, they, they wanted to uh, send her away. So I ICE grabbed her, and they were going to deport her this week. But there's an organization called RACES, R A I C E S. It's a nonprofit that provides legal services on immigration, and they're, present- they're pre- representing this woman. Her name is Melissa Portillo Moreno. She's Jewish. Jewish immigrant. Since eight years old, she was here. And her, they, on the, on the, it seems that they were able to help her out. Listen to the story. This woman, they call her Nellie, is a Jewish immigrant. She was locked up by ICE. And she's a cancer survivor. And it seems that uh, the, the uh, Jewish people found out about it. And they helped her. But listen to the story. She was detained after being charged with theft. That charge was later dropped. There's no charge. They were just going to deport her. So it, it, it seems that she was a, a small business consultant. She used her income to support her mother, who had a stroke and requires full-time care. She qualifies for DACA, the D-A-C-A, program that allows undocumented immigrants to come to the United States' as children to remain in this country. But she never applied for DACA. So now, new applications are not being accepted. The racist that this organization that's helping her said that since she, she's a cancer survivor, making her even more vulnerable to the worst effects of COVID-19. And also, this is where we came in. Well, that's what I was interested in, the whole story. She was denied kosher food while in custody. She lost 60 pounds in custody, mostly because she... She was not her Jewish needs, the dietary needs were not being met. She kept kosher, so she wasn't eating, and that and she lost sixty pounds. Now the uh, ICE emailed Jewish Telegraphic Agency, and they didn't answer the question about the withholding of the kosher food from her, but they say that they ensure individual health, unique health. A dietary and religious needs are met, but they didn't answer the question that she didn't have any kosher and she wanted it. So it seems that uh, what happened was unbelievable. This is only, you know, only a case like this. In the weeks since racist initial Twitter thread, Portillo's case has attracted the attention of Jewish organizations. An open letter to ICE by San Antonio field office on Portillo's behalf. Was written by the National Council of Jewish Women. It was co-signed by 18 other groups, including the Union for Reform Judaism, and the Anti-Defamation League. For this woman, the Jewish people came together. Maybe because it was just one of these human interest stories. Maybe the fact that she isn't doing well and, and she has all this service and and there wasn't anything of any significance that they caught her about. It seems that she she was they dropped the charges and she hasn't had the and they haven't supplied her food. And everybody got on board. Eighteen other groups signed on to help out this try to get this woman out and they did. So this is a story, a true story. Just happened and, you know, it's, a, it's, it's one story, one person's story. Now we switch to this other part of, the, of today, which I'm going to try to talk about. I don't know if I have a half an hour's worth. I'm going to try to see if we have a half an hour in here. It, it's a lot of material, but I don't know how, how much I could talk about it. It seems that in Arizona, they went ahead... And they're, disp- and they're taking away from the prisoners. I didn't find how many prisoners there are. Actually, I, do have a, I may have how many prisoners there are. It, they're taking away from the prisoners all kosher food. Arizona. Arizona, a state in the Union, no longer is serving kosher to its prisoners. Out. They also don't give halal. They only give what they call common fare. I researched this today. I didn't get everything I wanted. I mean, I called a few places and they didn't call me back. But uh, I called I called the United States government. They didn't answer me. And I called some other people. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you who. They didn't answer. But I did get through Baruch Hashem to one Chabad rabbi in Arizona, the head of the Arizona program the Arizona Chabad, and they they filled me in on a little bit about uh, what's going on over there. It seems that the government decided to disband the kosher food and the halal and only give uh, this thing called common fare, which is plant-based. It's vegetarian. Instead of eating meat, chicken, fish, now you eat beans, peas, beans, and soy. That's what you eat. So, you know, it doesn't sound like anybody would want to go, for, go, go to get the meals there, right? It, but this is what they did. And, of course, it's creating a tremendous havoc. And that's what we wanted to study a little bit and find out what's going on. So let me tell you, I have in front of me about 30 pages, a jury trial thing, very interesting, from a fellow, Patrick Bearup. That's still his name, Bearup, B-E-A-R-U-P. If it's real, I don't know, but that's his name, Bearup. Patrick Bearup, and he has a, demanding a jury trial from the government. He's coming against the government of the United States. And I tell you, it's a very interesting uh, little uh, piece, of, a little document here. The interesting thing about it is that, first of all, he's probably not Jewish at all, uh, that's Olive, but... But he wants, he and he, and he doesn't, uh, he, he he doesn't want kosher. He, he wants he wants to be able to eat halal, but still, Dylan, all listen to what it, listen to what it says. I'll share with you parts of it, and then we'll go discuss what's going on at the state. This is a, this is what he said. I'm not, Please don't hold me to all this. He says he is a kosher observing. Messianic Jewish inmate. So I, this messianic Jewish stuff has, made me crazy about why is he calls himself a messianic Jew. And, and, and he, he's been on a kosher diet. He wants kosher. He's been on the kosher diet since the, that's what he wanted. He wanted kosher. I got it confused. Yeah. See, he wants only kosher because he's a messianic Jew. That's what he says. And to back up his whole statement that he must have kosher, he sends a few pages from a, a a little pamphlet called God's Food Laws. God's Food Laws, which basically tell you to do everything that it says that we're supposed to do in the Chumash. The only thing is that this thing of the God's Food Laws is from the United Church of G-D, which is a... Uh, which which is a Pentecostal Christian church. And he sent this as proof of his Messianic Judaism, which they have nothing to do with Messianic Judaism. They have nothing to do with converting the Jews, as far as I was able to tell. And yet this is where his head is. It's all mixed together. And he thinks of himself as a Jew and as a Christian and as whatever it is. But what's interesting to me personally was the fact that this organization which is a pentecostal religion. It's not not Judaism, it's what you call Protestantism. It's pentecostal is a grouping within within that religion. And they want you to eat they want them to eat. They they themselves to eat what it says in the Torah that Jews eat. It's very interesting. So that itself was interesting on on its own right. And they you know they... the the boosted up from all over in Torah and, of course, their other religion, their, their books. But just the idea that they understand that kosher is of value to them. I don't know how many of them, how kosher they are. I don't know anything about that. But this fellow who calls himself a Messianic Jew is obviously very confused. He buoys it up with that group's uh, evaluation that you have to keep kosher. And he wants to only eat kosher, and he's very upset. Now, what's very interesting, this is, this is really sending me into the topic much more, and this is what I'm discussing with the people I spoke with. It says over here that um, there's a man by the name of David Shin. He seems to be uh, a head. That he is a director of Arizona State Prison. This David Shin supposedly claims that the vegan fare is kosher. In other words, common fare, which they're replacing kosher with, is also kosher. And here's what it says. This man, this David Shin, he provided proof that the new vegan fare is kosher, remains kosher, and is supervised by a local rabbinical supervisor. During the process of serving food to uh, these, these inmates over here, now I'm I, I'm not really uh, able to answer the question. I went, that started me wondering. Maybe really we're talking about it's kosher also, because that's what this David Shin says to them. So when I spoke to the Chabad rabbi, he told me no, the common fare is not kosher. Maybe. They, they don't use pig, maybe they don't, but they't but they don't use anything with koha there's no ashkocha on it, plus the fact I think they use they prepare it in, in other equipment so it's it's open so it's, I don't think that it, in any way it would be construed as kosher, but they're presenting it as kosher and the interesting thing is and i could, this sucks, but i couldn't get it out of my head is that this is being done today where constantly Constantly, you hear people saying that uh, you know they're th- th- suing that they have to get kosher meals. And uh, recently in Florida, there was a it was a big fight that they didn't want to they didn't want to give them kosher meals, and they and they lost, and they have to get kosher meals. And, and place after place lost, and they have to get kosher meals. And here, they took the kosher meals, threw them out the door, and they're only going to give this common fare. So it's it's un- unbelievable that such a thing is happening here in the United States that uh, there's so much dis- un- misunderstanding and that they really get away with this. There's a whole state. This is not one warden. There's not one, uh, one prison warden. This is the, the whole state of Arizona which decided that they're going to disband the whole kosher program. And the interesting thing of it is, and I read a few articles on this, the very interesting thing is, according to these papers, if it's correct, I can't tell you, it says the Department of Corrections did not give a reason for the meal change, but said both the old kosher offerings and the new meal costs $2.06 a meal. $2.06. I wish I could pay that. I don't want their food, but I, but I wish that was what it cost me to eat, $2.06 for the meal. That's hot coal, bot coal, everything included. And, th- and they say it's the same money. So why did they get rid of kosher? Why did they get rid of kosher? How could they get rid of kosher? This is the United States of America. This is going to have to be a, ma- a major case unless really it's all kosher certified from A to Z and this, doc- this David Shinn is telling the truth and my rabbi doesn't know it yet. But something funny is going on over here that we, we have to find the, the bottom the bottom line, and uh, it, it's, it's pathetic. Now, I'm not really interested in all these messianics. I'm not interested in anybody who isn't really interested in being kosher. And, of course, we, we're not in any way uh, want somebody to get into jail to be able to eat kosher. We, we definitely are trying to keep everybody out. But fortunately, there are things that people went to jail for without knowing that it was wrong, not without realizing that they're breaking the law. And so we have to understand that it could happen to somebody. And, and we, we have to have Rahmanas on every, every Jew. And even those lost souls that are in jail, and they're finding their way back, and many of them find their way back. Many of them find their way back. Some halfway, some third of a way. But many of them find their way back. And uh, to a certain extent, anyway. So we, we definitely want them to be able to eat kosher. Let, let, let me share you with you one thing. This is very weird. This fellow um, we, whom we're talking about, who has this law case against the government now, which he just put into effect, it was only a couple of days ago. Uh, when he put it into effect, uh, August 5th, right? So just, it's all happened right now. You see, see, on, tw- on July 2 of 2020 is when this whole thing started. And he mentions this fellow, weird, very weird. He holds, and I thought this was, he made the whole thing up, but he, the papers that he showed me, um, where he got this from, they, they tell you that eating vegetarian is a doctrine of demons and spiritual weakness. So they don't just want you to eat meat because it tastes good or because real men eat meat they're telling you that spiritually he was trained that spiritually it's detrimental to eat vegetarian and not to eat meat right. interesting whereas so many of the people are trying vegetarians are trying to convince us that we're eating that we're eating the demons, and, and that's just a very uh interesting phenomenon now. Uh, what when I, when I studied here, I, I saw, for example, that over the years, the, uh, many, many documents and many cases came out. And the famous case called Patel versus the United States Bureau of Prisons it goes back to 2008. And in the statement from the government, it says over here. The the, uh, Bureau of Prisons in the United States of America's Bureau of Prisons decided to serve kosher meals in the Common Fair Plan after reviewing the dietary requirements of various religious faiths. It concluded that a kosher meal was the strictest diet and subsumed all other religious dietary needs. It seems that the government has identified 31 religions in jail. The different jails, different, uh, prisons, they have the different the, prisons, the total number is 31 religions, and all of it is, a, is maintained by kosher. In other words, if you eat kosher, you're fulfilling everybody's, everybody's uh, religion. Now, there is a machloikis in, in Islam between the machmirim and the mekilim. It seems that there's two different groups there, this fellow Patel was from one group. He was very mocked It seems that some of them will not allow you eating kosher meat. You have to have the imam say some ritual words. But most of the, of, the, of the followers of Islam permit kosher meat because it was slaughtered the way they're supposed to slaughter their meat so that they feel confidence in it. And even if he didn't say the words that they want him to say, it still will be acceptable. So, they're actually kosher, should fulfill the need for halal as well. And it's just this question now about this uh, common fare what kind of meals are being used over there? If they're kosher type meal, like we, we call, we, they call, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it's kosher style. If it means that it's, it's kosher, meaning that the, there's nothing that is blatantly a pig or a. Or so some kind of uh, shellfish, so therefore it's not it's not blatantly not kosher, or they actually are kosher and they're not telling us that. Uh, so I, uh, again, I, I don't know the truth about it, and we're going to have to wait and find out if there really is a any truth to this uh, claim that this was that, that the common fare is kosher. I, I've dealt with people who are in in incarcerated and they've told me what goes on in the kitchen. And sometimes religious Jews or those who are trying to be religious Jews will be working in the kitchen and they'll be a preserved kosher. But a lot of times, they're not the ones working in the kitchen. And there's a lot of things that could go on, a tremendous amount of things that could go on. And uh, it's, 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 not, it's not necessarily clear. Just You start out with so-called kosher, you're ending up with kosher. On the other hand, they have shelf-stable meals, and there are ways to prepare and ways to eat either when it's not being prepared. So, yes, presumably you could keep kosher in the uh, in the the jail system. I I, I communicate with one rabbi, was in jail, and he's and he's told me the he durim that he got in his particular place, and then he has his people checking the letters. Yeah, not joking. He has his people that work with him or his students checking the letters. Again, I don't know how how, how well-trained they are. I don't know how it's really going. But there are definitely situations in the the system where you you could be observant or you try to be observant. And again, I don't know all the ins and the outs, But we hope and we'll find find out that something is going to work out positively for all those people who are incarcerated. Uh, There's a lot of protection built in, Baruch Hashem, into our system. And people are able to make complaints. They can file different grievances. They can take everybody to court. They could do a tremendous amount of... uh, some of them spend a lot of their time uh, trying to represent themselves to get out of jail, to help themselves with different situations like this one over here. And there's a lot of support. We have to remember that the First Amendment and the uh, protection of freedom and the 14th Amendment, they protect freedom to practice religion, to be free from state imposed religion. Whether you're in jail or you're not in jail, you have the you have, you have this protection that's built into our Constitution. But, and, and you should have a reasonable chance to pursue your practice of your religion the same as anybody else. And, and that's all according to the Constitution. And you could take action if, you, if need be. So the courts consider four, consi- there's four things the courts consider whether or not to work to act on what you're asking them to do. Number one, if the policy has logical connection to legitimate governmental interests invoked to justify it, that would be a reason why they wouldn't let you have the First Amendment rights. If they had some kind of reason why they had to follow this pattern. Number two, if there is an alternative means of exercising the religious right. So, for example, sometimes I'll say, well, you could, you could get the meals, they're available in the cafeteria, in the I'm sorry, the commissary, but of course they cost money, and the prisoners have nothing. I, mean, I have prisoners who who pay me. I had prisoners pay *Conscious* magazine subscription with stamps. I had, a, I had prisoners who, who who told me how little they earn and asked me if they if they could pay a small amount that they would be able to get and, and, and some very rarely in all the years. I very rarely had a, uh, a clergyman apply for a subscription for the magazine to go to the, the, the inmates. I very re- I very rarely, or if never. It seems that the the inmate can, will apply. This is subscription. Of course, they always ask for a free one. But if they if they if they want to get it, and then they're offering a small amount of money, they will will pay for our postage. So we'll do it. But the, uh, it seems that over the years many people have a really you see they have no they're all indigent, they don't own don't own anything anymore, and the and the government says go buy in the commissary, so even if a meal costs two and a half dollars in the commissary, but that's one meal and two and a half dollars, one of the one of the people that I just came across them at work today has fifty seven dollars in his account. $57. How many meals can he buy? $57 in the account. How much can he earn if they earn? $0. 25 cents an hour or something? Sugar in the numbers. These people are really all indigent and they, they can't afford to go ahead and buy stuff at commissaries. Either the government is going to provide them a normal meal for the $2.06 or, you know, a very religious Jew will have to worry about it. Now, the The rabbi cannot give you his meals. He's not allowed to give you anything to eat, against the rules. So the only way they can get the food is when they're going through the 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 prison itself, either being served or it comes in as a gift. That's accepted sometimes. Like for example, for Pesach they have gifts. They have gifts every day, but it has to go through a system. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, that's not a solution for anybody who's incarcerated. He has to have his regular meals coming in like everybody else. Okay. So uh, another thing is that they, a way that they can get around these, the rights that you have as a, as a citizen of the United States is they, what impact accommodating your religious right might have on the prison staff or on other prisoners and prison resources. In other words, is your food going to cost too much? Well, that's a very common uh, situation, and that's what many of the, of the states try to get out because they said it was costing too much money. But over here we're saying that the, they claim that the, the common fare, which they're putting in to replace the kosher, cost $2.06, and kosher costs $2.06. If they both cost the same, why did you change it? Why are we, why are we dumping it? Uh, we just went through, and did in Michigan... Where people sued and they won, yeah. that they got meat and chicken and fish or whatever it is for Shabbos and for Yom Tov, etc., because those days were added on to the days that they have based upon the regular meals. All the Shabbos and Yom Tovs were added on. They had 56 or something crazy number. I don't know but they include. Maybe they include Hanukkah. I don't know, whatever it is. They got everything in the bend of the sun into that list of, of, of Yom Tovim and Yom and Yom and everything. They have a very nice big fat list. And they, they're going to get fish, meat, chicken, whatever it is on those days because that's what they say their religion, which Judaism requires. But So why would you want to take all of that away from all of your Jewish prisoners and all your Islam prisoners and take that away from them and tell them, eat beans and, and, and uh, rice maybe and a little soy, And you'll you'll be happy, and you'll be strong, and you'll be wonderful, and you have 2,700 calories, the same 2,700 calories. Yeah, 2,700 calories, but you're going to have a whole bunch of inmates that hate the system, and they're ready to rebel and make these lawsuits. So I don't know what happened here. It doesn't make any sense to me at all, and I'm waiting to find out the answer to the question when I hopefully get the government will talk to me. So far they weren't available today. And we'll we'll try to go to do further. If I get an answer, believe me, I'll let everybody know. But if if we, this is important for for us as Jews because, you know, if we go a step forward and and there's two steps back or one step back, everybody it, it works together. What happens to us and what happens to the other people who have needs similar to ours work together. I remember like it was today. It was back in the early 1980s. I don't remember the year. There was the picture. I couldn't believe the picture. It was a really interesting picture. Here's four people were in the picture. I remember three of them and the fourth name I don't remember who was. There's Rabbi Heinemann and I believe that that, uh, he he was there and there there was somebody else also from the Star K and there was this Dr. Muhammad Chaudhry, a Mohammedan, and the fourth person, I don't remember who it was, and the, uh, these four people were getting together because there was a joint effort that was being made to, to work on the cans that were, people were using, the canning system, to make it that the cans wouldn't leach Khazr. Because they had of food going into these cans, and the production, and you, and you had leaching means it comes out from the metal into the food, very very little, but so some of it comes out into the food, and maybe but the but da da and maybe that's how it win so but still in all it was it was some leaching, and they wanted to do a certain production a certain way to make the steel drums be uh, not not tray at all. And the, and the only way he was able to do it Rabbi behind him is that he worked together with Mohammed Shahri from the, from the uh, you know, from, and it, was a, it was Islam. The interesting thing is, obviously, he was not a radical, and he was not an anti-Jewish person. And he was able to work with Rabbi Heinemann. But just the picture, that they're working together, that's the way, I'm not saying it's the, it's the best, you know, it'd be nice if we didn't have to do anything. We work by ourselves hidden should be by themselves, but on the other hand, we have some common cause where there's sometimes a good that has to work with so the church. sometimes you know the Kh agents have to work with the Mohammedans, and sometimes they'll be able to and if we're able to work it out together, it produces a little more, less cynestpheum, a little less a little anti-Semitism is reduced, so it's a positive thing, and uh, you know we're not going to be their friends but we, have, we can still work together for common cause. That is the way it always has been, and it's, the, it's a very helpful thing. So we hope that this situation will be resolved in Arizona and it doesn't chas shalom snowball in the rest of the country. I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope that it really turns out that everything was kosher to start with, and it's mahadran, minahan, mahadran, and there's no question whatsoever. I hope and pray that that's the, the resolution but at the present time, unfortunately, I, from what I was able to define divine from the uh, the rabbis in Chabad, is that it 's not so now if we'll see we 'll see how it plays itself out, and we hope and we pray Atish Barfur is going to help these people to continue to keep kosher because it 's extremely important to them it 's their expression and you know, we, we talk about what people did in the Holocaust. Tzadikia made very little, etc. Probably could get through in a diet in, one, in, these, host, in these prisons and, and do much better than the Jews did during the Holocaust. You probably could survive quite easily. But I get to Shilohs all the time. I want you to know I have to paskin one Shulchan Aruch for the people in jail and one Shulchan Aruch for, well, for anybody who calls me on the phone. The ones in jail don't call me on the phone usually. It's usually it's a usually it's a letter. Or, but if sometimes they do call, and the question comes up, can I use this? And it's a hard call because they they tell me in no uncertain terms, it's the only one that I can get that is kosher. And in jail, you can't just say, send me something else. No, that's the only thing that's maybe kosher. And I have to look at it very clearly and no prejudice now. Not saying it's not as good as so-and-so, I don't know, maybe not. You can't get very firm with these people because you have to be able to decide, bottom line, would you give it to somebody who's in the pinch who can't get anything else? And the answer has to be yes or no. So it's a very, very hard decision. We have to make it very often, and and that's how they live. So... uh, Yes, you could do without a lot of things, but if you'd see the things that I get asked about, you'd go without a lot. So if you'd skip all those things, and you don't eat them. I don't eat them, and you don't eat them. But we have to decide sometimes whether the people in, the, in, the, in jails can eat them. It's very, very, very big, Shiloh, and we have to deal with it in a special way. There are, by the way, I found out here in the end, there are 1,210 inmates in state prisons in Arizona, receiving a kosher diet. And all of them now are cut off. It's 1,210 as of now. Yeah. So uh, it, it seems that there's, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of James Son, S-O-N-N-E, a professor of law and director of Religious Liberty Clinic in Stanford Law School, and he's saying that Uh, While a common fair menu might lack pork, it might still violate Jewish kosher law by not being supervised by a rabbi. Moreover, although such a menu might have adequate calories, it might consist of only bland, unpalatable, or off-repeated ingredients, and I told you some of them already, the beans and the the, the soy, and even though that's a wonderful thing for a little, little bit in your diet, it sounds interesting, but if that's the only thing, and you have no meat, fish, potatoes, no no, sorry, no meat, fish, uh, uh, cheese, uh, uh, maybe no eggs either. Have everything cut out. It's very for people who ate that their whole life. It's very 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 difficult. We hope and we pray, Akaris Baruch Hu, will help us Klal Yisrael not just in this area, but the COVID-19 should disappear. Blessed Hashem is Baruch B'mehra. And until next week, this has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Koshris Magazine. And you can reach us at 718-336-8544 or KASHRIS, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Wishing everybody a wonderful week.